0: Each December, as it's done since the mid-1990s, the picturesque town of Seneca Falls, New York, celebrates its fabled connection to the classic holiday film It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart.
1: And, Joe, this year, the Seneca County village that is believed to have inspired Frank Capra's Bedford Falls serves as the setting for the screening of a new documentary titled The Real Bedford Falls. We have the documentary's narrator coming up on this episode of The 315. Digital content on WAER is supported by California Closets of Syracuse, creating custom storage solutions for all areas of the home, as well as in professional offices and commercial spaces. Learn more at californiaclosets.com or by visiting their DeWitt showroom. Welcome to The 315. I'm Kevin Kloss.
0: And I'm Joe Lee. Seneca Falls, New York, has long been believed to have served as the inspiration for Frank Frank Capra's Bedford Falls, the setting for George Bailey's hometown.
1: And in the 1946 classic, an angel is sent from heaven to help the desperately frustrated businessman, played by Jimmy Stewart, by showing him what life would be like if he never existed.
0: New this year at the annual celebration in Seneca Falls is the screening of The Real Bedford Falls, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a work-in-progress documentary that explores the connections between Seneca Falls, New York, and Bedford Falls. It examines small-town life and captures the excitement of the annual It's a Wonderful Life festival.
1: Joining us to chat is the narrator for the film, Bob Dotson, professor at the Newhouse School and WAER alumnus. Welcome, Bob.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And welcome back, we should say.
1: Tell tell us a
0: little bit about the, the documentary and how you came to be involved with it. Well,
2: before I was a professor, I was 40 years with NBC News, and I had a great gig. My gig was basically to go around America and see if I could find Bedford Falls. You know, it lives in our imagination. But as it turns out, there are a lot of George Bailey's out there. We just don't hear about them. Because, you know, we have a celebrity mirror that mirrors power and celebrity. But if you look in the shadows, like in Bedford Falls, you see people who lead with their heart and still get things done. These are names we don't know but ought to know because, you know, pollsters don't tell us anything about them. Mm -hmm. And yet they're the reason why America not only survives but still thrives at the grassroots level.
0: Wait a minute. So let's back up. So there was an actual, you had an actual assignment where you went to small towns all over America trying to sort of identify some of the values that were expressed in in Capra's movie. That's correct. What were some of the favorite places you you discovered?
2: Well, for 25 years, I had this great gig on the Today Show called The American Story. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't feature story. It was investigative reporting about people who were seemingly ordinary but had done something significant and were too busy to be on WAER and tell you about it, mm-hmm. but they'd solved it. Like, I'll give you a for instance. I was in a little town in Mississippi, and people said, you ought to go see Jim Suddeth because he is very good with his hands and he's restoring a car that came out at the same year that It's a Wonderful Life. Well, it turns out he was a lot more than very good with his hands. He was a truck driver whose company went bankrupt by the time he got to the University of Michigan, so he got a job as a janitor. Hmm. And he watched all these surgeons working, and he said, you know, the tools are too big. So he was 44 years old, had three children, so he never became a doctor himself, but he goes home to his garage, and he's one of the guys that invented some of the first micro-surgical tools. Oh, wow. So if you graduate this year as an outstanding surgical student at the University of Michigan, you get your name on a plaque that has his face And the dean says he's the best professor we ever had, and he was never a doctor. Wow.
0: That's interesting.
1: That's a really cool story. So prior to the assignment to find the real Bedford Falls, what was your feeling or connection towards It's a Wonderful Life? Was that something that you had been drawn to before the assignment, or was this sort of a learning-as-you-go?
2: No, I was drawn to it because my grandfather, his name Bailey, does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And he lived a little town, a lot like Seneca Falls, called Hiawatha, mm-hmm. Kansas. Oh, wow. It wasn't on the shores of Gitche but it was about the same size, right? And my grandfather was this great storyteller, and he would talk about the importance of one individual to his town and his life. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. But, so we watched, the first time we ever I watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life, I watched it with him. Afterwards, we're sitting there on the front swing out front, and he said, Did I ever tell you about my honeymoon? And I said, no, but even at eight years old, I was kind of like interested, right? Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, your mom and I, or grandpa and I, we went to to Salt Lake City. And even at eight years old, I said, why? (laughs) He says, I had a free ticket. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, we were in the dining car when the conductor wobbled up to us and said, is your name Paul Bailey? Yeah. You come from a little town in Ohio? Yeah. And more recently in Kansas. He says, well, I'm your oldest brother who you've never met.
0: Wow. My
2: grandfather was the last of 10 children. So everybody else went west, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a penny postcard at home. It's kind of my Bedford Falls picture. It's my grandmother and grandfather floating on their backs in the Great Salt Lake, you know, with the spaghetti string swimsuits mm-hmm. and the hats with the brother. Big red circle around the brother. He's probably taken a couple of days off on the railroad. The postcard is to their mother back in Ohio. Hmm. And it was probably the first tweet of the 20th century because it said, Ma. We found Vance <laughs> more later.
0: I mean, it's a perfect tweet, right? It is a perfect tweet.
2: So if you grow up around storytellers like that, uh-huh. you then somebody says, I'm going to pay you to go 4 million miles in this country looking for seemingly ordinary people. Well, you know, that was a gig that I just wouldn't want to give up. So yeah. I, they, NBC hired me when I had red hair and freckles and kept me until I was gray, and I retired on the 40th anniversary to the day that they hired me
0: wow what 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 was it about the movie itself that really connected with you
2: well the fact that even if you don't think you have power or you know education or good looks that your life really resonates with uh, uh how the world turns out mm-hmm. and that's the that's the, the story of the movie itself And ironically, you know, this movie tanked when it opened in 1946.
0: I didn't know that.
2: Lost a half a million dollars. And Capra, who was the producer, and Jimmy Stewart were trying to start their own little company. So they let the copyright lapse. And that's how it became a classic because every local station in the country could get a free movie in December. So, they I mean, you could turn it from Channel 3 to Channel 9. Everybody was running it. And they ran it for 20 years before they reinstituted the copyright. And, it, and of course, it's a great movie. So what happens, it, it went into the culture, and it's still around today.
0: You don't happen to remember what some of the critiques were when it flopped, do you?
2: Well, I, you know, I think it was kind of like a, what we're facing today. The, the mood of the country had changed. A lot of veterans were coming home. You know, they were either bitter or they were in a hurry. And And Frank Capra, the producer-director, They had a title for all the the movies he'd done in the 1930s, which were perfect for the Great Depression. They called it Capricorn. It was kind of make you feel good. Well, you know, the only Oscar that It's a Wonderful Life won was for fake movie snow. (laughs) (laughs) And everything else was won for for a movie about veterans coming home, you know, with problems with their arms and legs and and love affairs and all that. So I think just the the times had changed. Mm And they were still making a movie for 1939, and here it was in 1946. So.
1: Right. So we've mentioned that you are the narrator for this documentary. Was it that assignment that you had searching for Bedford Falls that connected you with this documentary, or how did you get involved with it?
2: Well, there's a guy named Stu Listen, who lives here, and worked at uh, Syracuse University for many years. We know Stu. You know Stu. You know Stu. And he said, I, "I'm working with uh, Joanne Storkin, who." who's helping to put together a, a movie about connecting the real story of the people in Seneca Falls with the imagined and, and memory story of the movie. And I thought, hmm, yeah, I kind of, I, yeah, I'm i interested in doing, you know, because I'm retired now, and everybody says, well, you, you know you haven't got anything to do. <laughs> so I said, yeah, okay, fine, yeah. And so, but I just love, I love the idea of being a part of that particular story because, some people think it's you know, this is a vision on a hill, but in fact, there are a lot of George Bailey's in places like Seneca Falls, or even if you live in a big city like Syracuse, down the street and around the corner, there's somebody in your neighborhood that's making things work. And so I thought, okay, I could be involved with that. And I, so I appreciate the fact that they could have me as a part of the movie.
0: Well, your, your voice is perfect for it. Um, so in doing the, the narration, and you were already a fan and you're probably already familiar with Seneca Falls. In, in doing this particular film, did, were there any things that you learned about Seneca Falls or the movie itself that you hadn't known before?
2: Oh, plenty. For instance, you know, here was Frank Capra who supposedly came through on a holiday and he was struggling with a rewrite and he was one of a, a number of people who had written, you know, worked on this script and trying to figure out, you know, how to grab an audience visually. Apparently he goes down and gets a haircut and, of course, it's an Italian barber. And your listeners probably are familiar with it. There's a large Italian neighborhood, much like in the movie. You know, Mr. Mancini, how are you? You know, that kind of, hello, you old savings. But you know, but anyway. so um, I, I, I thought that the, here's the connection that he, the Capra, who was struggling to try to figure out how to get into it, he starts talking to this guy. It turns out that he, his parents and the barber's parents were the same neighborhood in Italy. So the barber shows him around town, as I recall. And he shows him the bridge where a guy actually jumped off and tried to save somebody, but in this case died, and on and on and on. And here's this little old uh, neighborhood with old houses and, you know. So I, a lot of that permeated into the story that, that Frank Capra finally settled on because, you know, for instance, in the, the book that it came out of, the, it, this is a typical story. That this guy had spent years trying to sell his book. Nobody wanted it. So he just published it and sent it to friends for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the people who ended up with a copy was a guy from RKO uh, movies, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. But, you know, jumping in and Clarence and all that stuff, that wasn't there yet. So my, it's my guess that, you know, probably after having taken this little tour with the uh, the barber, that he said, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I heard this guy, and the whole story is about my life isn't worth anything, and why don't I have him jump in and save the, you know. One of the things I was look, uh, looking at when I was researching this story, do you know that Frank Capra tried to convince Jimmy Stewart to do the movie? And, and you could hear Stewart, you know, wait a minute, you're talking about a guy who's going to try to kill himself, and then he jumps in the water, and he has to save an a, a, you know, a, a angel named Clarence? Now, when do we start? <laughs> so I you mean know, this is all very human. I mm-hmm. mean it's like it's, you, everybody thinks okay it's all full blown and is everybody wonderful and they like it and it's been around for a million years and probably made a lot of money. None of that happened. Mm-hmm. But that didn't make any difference because it struck a chord and it still does today. Mm-hmm.
1: Now this documentary also examines the festival, the annual it's a wonderful life festival. Is that something you've had a chance to experience before?
2: No, I've been to Seneca Falls many times, but I've never got here at Christmas time. I mean it, it, unless you live in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. it's touch and go in December to come up to Upstate New York, you know, and try to get back home. But um, so this is all brand new to me. I'm I'm thrilled to go take a look at myself. You know,
0: have you, you've obviously seen footage? You've seen the the finished product. It oh. it says a work in progress.
2: Well, you know, it's kind of like if you if you write a book, it's never really done. It's just finally published. Okay. So it really is done, but there's a you know a graphic here or there or you know maybe we can tighten up that scene kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if people come to see it, they're going to see the finished product. It's mm-hmm. just a, a few little glitzers in this and how tweaking, but mostly it's done. Okay. The beauty of it is is that the guy who edited it is uh, the same person who does Seinfeld's comedians driving in cars. You know. Oh yeah. So what he did was is he did this beautiful job of cutting back and forth between the real people. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that ended up in the movie. So there really was a Mr. Potter. He just wasn't called Mr. Potter. Mm-hmm. And there really was this bridge. And you know, and there was this guy that jumped in the water. It's just so that's the fascinating part. Because when you when you've watched the film, and then you say, gosh, there's really people like that still to this day. And it made a big difference in this small town. Probably makes a big difference in every neighborhood in America.
0: So f- Frank Capra is not on record. As saying Seneca Falls was the inspiration, is he? No, he's not. So how do we how do we settle on that? And, and are there any other <laughs> communities out there trying to claim well the, I, the, I, the, the, the right to be
2: well, it's kind of like you know Abner Doubleday never invented baseball in the small town that he's supposed to have. and, mm-hmm. and we, yet we have everybody tries to get some kind of museum. But there are a number of clues which we have in the movie that we just did. Which says that okay, it had to be upstate New York because they're talking about going to Buffalo, and there's somebody down below in another little town, and such and such. so.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, we they, they so geographically we're already there because of you, the reference to Buffalo. absolutely right.
2: And then you can also put the guy who's struggling with the final product of writing the particular script that made it into the movie, and he's there visiting relatives in that area. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not probably not uh, you know Pasadena. It's, right. it's got to be upstate New York. And and so I think there's a number of, number of clues in the script if you're inclined to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one of the reasons that Capra never settled on a particular town, because he didn't want people to say, oh, that's the story of Seneca Falls. Mm-hmm. He wanted him to say, that's the story of, of my neighborhood. Okay. That's yeah. my life. That's how it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for instance... If we were in the 1840s and we were trying to get to Oregon, do you think we'd worry about where you came from or what what you did for a living as long as you could change a wheel? Right. You know, you had this dream. That's where you wanted to go to. And right. that's exactly the story of It's a Wonderful Life, you mm-hmm. know, that you can do it if you if you get together. And my favorite scene in the movie, everybody's got their favorite scenes, if, you know, falling in love with it. My favorite scene is the very last one mm-hmm. where they all come together and bail out the savings alone and make it work.
0: Right, right. Were there any any discoveries watching the film that you were not familiar with about the town that are sort of must see or must do things for listeners who are listening who have never visited Seneca Falls?
2: I think one of the most fascinating thing I'm looking forward to is the it's a wonderful life museum.
0: Oh, and there is a museum there. I didn't okay. know that. Yeah, wow. I mean just like they've got
2: there's a scene early in the movie where the young Jimmy Stewart comes in, makes a wish, and hits a thing that's supposed to be a lighter in a cigar store. Mm-hmm. And if it lights up, which apparently only did like once every 15 times, uh, then your wish comes true. Mm-hmm. That's there. Yeah, I was like, okay, I can touch it and you know, I can do this. So I think that would really be neat. Mm-hmm. And it's not big. I've seen pictures, you know, the, the film that was shot on it. It's just, it's like somebody's house, basically, right. but all this really cool stuff mm-hmm. is there, and I think that's important. And, of course, you all know about Seneca Falls and, and how it dealt with you know, women's uh, right. rights, and, mm-hmm. and also uh, I think Harriet Tubman passed away there. Okay. And so, you know, there's lots of rich history. There's millions of reasons to go there, but I think this particular weekend— I, don't they just change the name from one weekend from Seneca Falls to Bedford Falls? Yeah, yeah. And, and then they bring in a guy that looks like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. I got to have my picture taken. <laughs> and you can hang a bell
0: on the bridge. Yeah.
2: Oh, there's a little little angel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's it's pretty cool that there are you know there's two towns, two very small towns in upstate New York that that have this. Um, national and, and even international connection when you consider uh, Seneca Falls and It's a Wonderful Life and, and the birthplace of um, uh, the creator or writer of uh, Oz out in, in Chittenango. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have uh, sort of similar festivals and appeal mm-hmm. and draw crowds of folks who are fans of the movie there who want to see small town life. I think it's pretty cool having that within close proximity uh, of of, uh, of one another.
1: It's funny you were saying that. The the whole time that's exactly what I was thinking. I was yeah. thinking this feels an awful lot like OzFest, which they do right. out, out in Chenango as well, with a festival and a parade and, and a lot of just festivities around the celebration of the work. Bob, is it safe to say if you reside in Seneca Falls, you're you're convinced that this is what Bedford Falls is based on, correct?
2: Oh, I, su- I suspect there's nobody who would be a naysayer on that.
1: Surrounding neighborhoods, do you think there's a lot of support? So Auburn is in very close proximity to Seneca Falls. Syracuse, just a, a little bit of a further drive. Do you think the belief extends beyond the initial town, the initial village itself?
2: Well, I think so, only because uh, Seneca Falls has been proactive. So if you want to – I mean, they, they dress up in 1946 yeah. outfits. Mm-hmm. They wander around. they claimed it. You know, yeah. and I think that makes a big difference. But uh, – but, I've found people who should have been in Bedford Falls. Like, for instance, there was a guy in a little town in Alabama who was dying, but he was in his 90s, and everybody, he had no family left. So they invited me over to do a closer for Nightly News because he did exactly what Jimmy Stewart did in the movie. Everybody's going broke, so they they did a big run on the banks. And he said, wait a minute. It's not your money here. It's in, you know, over in Potter's Field. It's here. And so Mama Dollar and Papa Dollar are, you are know, going to save this little town. Well, that's exactly what this man did in this small town in, in Alabama. And now a lifetime later, all the neighbors are showing up on Christmas Eve, and he doesn't expect anybody to come see him. And yet they remember that their grandparents said, we wouldn't have this little town if it wasn't for Buster here. So it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So I I understand like Auburn and the rest of them. They all and I hope they all feel like they're Bedford Falls and like Capra said, it's not a specific place. It's in your head. Mm-hmm. It's in our country and it's in your in your uh, in your life. And so that was important to them.
0: What's next for the film? Um, how do how do people access it from this point forward?
2: Well, that's a good question. I've been asking the folks you know who make that kind of decision. And, and you know, marketing these days is so different. Than even five years ago, um, but we're hoping that word of mouth will pick up, mm. and that there would be a way to get it onto a streaming service or this, that, and the other. And it's a half-hour show; it's like a sitcom yeah. in terms of length, but it it packs a lot of stuff in it, and it also gives you an idea of who we are yeah. as Americans.
0: Final question. As the final credits roll, what, what do you think uh, average viewer is going to walk away? What, what's the takeaway after after watching this? What do you think they're going to walk away? The most valuable lesson or piece of information folks are going to walk away after having viewed the documentary?
2: One word, hope. Yeah. That's and what the
0: movie's all about. Yeah. And don't we need it today? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Bob Dotson, it's a pleasure having you on the 315. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the final episode of The 315 for 2019.
1: Great conversation today with Bob Dotson. And if you've never ventured to Seneca Falls, now's a great time to do so. Catch up on past episodes of The 315 at WAER.org. And while you're there, check out other WAER original podcasts. And also don't forget to
0: connect with us on our Facebook page at The 315 CNY. I'm Joe Lee.
1: And I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening.